succeeded. Aaron uh, talked about the particular of Baptist. We've strained a little at times to get away from um, titles here or denominational, what have become denominational titles, Baptist being one of those. But if you were to put a label on this church, uh, Baptist would be one of those labels based on the fact that we believe in uh, baptism after salvation. A converted person is to be baptized, we believe, in the water. And so that would be one of the things that distinguishes us from other Reformed churches um, that also are Reformed but believe in another mode of baptism. Okay? Now, we're very unified with those churches. We're closer to those churches in many ways than we are to the others who call themselves Baptist in our community because we share with them likeness on how a person is saved and the uh, eternal plan of God and the wisdom of, of God and the, uh, the holy uh, God-breathed nature of the Scripture. And so we, ha- we share a lot in common. But there is a difference in today's message. I want to kind of bring that difference out, not in a way to uh, disparage those who don't hold this view of baptism, but to uplift us in, in our stance on baptism. And this will conclude our little mini-series, in a way, on baptism. Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 4, which we talked of last week. Um, In verses 3 and 4, we have the mention of baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now I know last week that some left uh, maybe a little confused or uh, groping for meaning. It's a difficult subject. And uh, and I do want to kind of Uh, lay the foundation a little bit from last week in simple terms that all of us go home with the basics from last week. What was the conclusion of last week's message? The conclusion that we came to was that baptism is not the grounds of our salvation, but that it is the initiation into the local body of Christ. Baptism is the initiation right, the public confession of faith in Christ. We are saved by faith alone. We could best express this idea by saying this. Faith is always assumed to lead to baptism. Faith is always assumed to lead to baptism. And baptism always assumes faith for its validity. Faith is always assumed prior to baptism in the water. And the baptism in the water only has significance for someone who is in the faith because it's a public profession of faith, okay? So baptism in the waters of baptism as we practice it does not save anybody. It should give you no confidence in your salvation solely because, only because you were baptized. When I ask people... 
about their conversion experience and they begin to tell me about their baptism experience, I begin to question whether or not they really understand conversion. Because conversion is not baptism through water. Conversion is baptism in the Spirit. All right? Now, I know that uh, one of the points that was probably a little hard to grasp last week that I want to revisit shortly here in the introduction is concerning our burial with Jesus Christ. Let me try to make this clear to you. Paul, since chapter 5, verse 12, has been dealing with representative heads of the human race. He starts in verse 12 and following to say that Adam is our representative in the flesh. In other words, you have a physical body, and in that physical body, you have a sinful nature. And that nature comes to you by way of Adam. Adam, in Adam we sinned, is the way we would say that in theology. When Adam sinned, we sinned. It's not as if Adam sinned and then God unrighteously or unjustly just said, okay, now everybody's a sinner. No, we were in the loins, as uh, uh, Athanasius confessed, we were in the loins of Adam. We were inside Adam. He is our representative. And if you took yourself and put yourself in the place physically of Adam, you would have made the same choice that he made. You would have eaten the fruit and you would have died. There's no exception. All of us are in Him, okay? And He's our representative. And then in 5, in starting later in chapter 5, in the later verses, He says there's a second Adam. And who is that? The one, Christ Jesus. And He is the representative of all who have faith in Him. And so you are born in Adam, and you must be born in Christ. You must be regenerated, as Jesus called it in John chapter 3. You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This dichotomy, you have Adam representing all those people who were born in the human race. You have, you have Jesus representing everyone who is born of the Spirit into Christ. And so, I said last week, when we read Romans 6, we have to keep that in mind in 1 through 4. He's still working off the framework of representation. When He says to us, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised up from the dead, even so we should walk in newness of life. And the part I think that I may have left it hanging, and I want to conclude it, is this. When Christ died on the cross, all of those in the faith died on that cross with Him. We were in His loins. We were dying when He was dying. And we were buried with Him when He was buried. And when He was resurrected, Paul reasons in 1 Corinthians 15, this is why we have hope of resurrection physically. Because He was resurrected, we were resurrected. Now that's the beauty of this passage. That as Christ died, when He died, we died. Paul reasons that in several places. Galatians being one. uh, Ephesians being another. And then here in Romans, He does the same thing. So I want you to understand that. But when do we experience it, Paul? When do I experience this death, burial, and resurrection? 
in my human life, in time, when do I experience it? At conversion. You experience the death, the burial, and the resurrection that has already happened when you are converted, when you are born again. That's when you experience it, when you know that it happened, okay? But in God's timing, it is, it is already done in Christ. That's why we can say Christ died once for all. And now He is seated at the right hand of the Father. When you're converted, He doesn't have to die and be buried and be raised again, all over again. He's already done that and we did it with Him. Okay? And so, we truly have nothing without Christ. We don't have anything without Christ. You wouldn't be a human if you weren't of the race of Adam and you would not be a Christian if you were not of the spiritual race of Christ. That's the picture here in Romans 6. So we said last week that this baptism has two can be seen in two ways. I, I agree with it being seen in two ways. Primarily and overall, overarching is this spiritual baptism. Okay? Get that in your mind. That helps you understand it. We were buried with Him through baptism into death and primarily He is referring to a spiritual action. All right? Secondarily to that is the nature of physical baptism. Today I want to talk with you about the practical issue of baptism. And I promise you, next week we're going to get back to John chapter 1 and I'm going to move on from baptism, okay? But I want to give you some practical reasons why we believe in the baptism the way we believe it and why you should be baptism, baptized, baptismed, if, you, if you're in the faith. I want to just give you some practical things here. Baptism is an ordinance performed only in a Christian's life and it signifies, it is, I said last week, it is the, the mediator of our uh, faith. It is a mediator of our faith. Like the Lord's Supper is not um, the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, but it is the mediator of that body and blood that we might see it, that we might experience it, that we might have communion with Him. It's a mediator. And baptism is a physical go-between of what spiritually has happened. It's a sign. It signifies. It is a sign of. It is an experience that changes a man uh, and it imprints on a man's mind when he is in the faith. Um, that he, I've seen people just they long for baptism. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance performed over and over in the Christian's life to signify that we never stop living off the spiritual nourishment of the body and the blood of Christ. That's why it's done over and over and over again. I think if we were the purest, like the Puritans and others, we would celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly. Why? Because it should be experienced over and over and over again. Weekly even, daily maybe, so that we might see that we can't even live and have our breath and our moving without this body and blood. So, but, but baptism is only celebrated once in the believer's life. Why? Because you're only baptized in the Spirit one time. So we're only supposed to be baptized in the water one time. That's why Paul says we have one baptism and one faith. In other words, you're not baptized and rebaptized in the Spirit over and over. You don't gain baptism and lose it and gain it and lose it. It's just a once-for-all act in your life. 
And so once and for all, you need to be baptized. Now, other churches might like to baptize you multiple times so they might run their numbers of baptism up. So they can brag to their coffee drinking buddies that they baptized, you know, three or four hundred, five hundred this year. But if we get down to it, many of those baptisms really are rebaptisms that it, one of them's not official. One of them should be deleted because you don't need it. It was without faith, so it didn't have any significance at all. And so, uh, and so we need to think about that. We celebrate the baptism rite or ordinance one time in our life. One time through the Spirit, one time through the physical water. So I would not minimize how important this one-time act is. It is very important. It is extremely important. But don't miss the tremendous weight put on death in these two uh, church ordinances. In other words, we have a significance of the death of Christ in the communion table, and we have the uh, significance of the death and burial of Jesus Christ in baptism. Death and burial and resurrection are all part of the gospel message. What is Paul teaching us in Romans 6, 3-4? He brings up baptism because it relates to his main point, namely, that he who have, have, we who have died to sin can't go on living in it. If you've been, uh, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We shouldn't do that. Why? Because we've died to sin. That sinful man died on the cross. That sinful man was poured onto Christ on the cross and he was crucified there. And he's dead. He doesn't breathe any longer. He's gone. And now we've been resurrected to new life. And so we have this beautiful picture. And so we shouldn't continue in sin. So baptism, how, how getting down to the practical here. Baptism was practiced by everyone in the Christian church during Paul's day. Everybody practiced baptism. Uh, this was not some new thing that they uh, are just a frequent or infrequent thing. It was everybody who was saved was baptized. The first thing we learn about baptism is that Paul is assuming that it would be done. He writes to the Romans who he's never seen, and he simply takes it for granted that all the believers in the Roman church have been baptized. Look what he says in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... Do you, do you see that? He didn't give any doctrinal explanation of this. He assumes it. We've all been baptized. Everybody has. First, he makes this assumption, and he says... He simply explains why Christians can't go on living in sin by saying that the meaning of their baptism contradicts sin. The reason you can't continue in sin is you've died to sin. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death. How were we baptized into death? We sinners died with Christ on the cross. That's what he says. So baptism means death with Christ. And those who are dead to sin don't live in it anymore. And that's all of us. That's all Christians. There's not any exceptions. Secondly, Paul shows that baptism was universally practiced and understood like this in the words, Do you not know? He, he, he's drawing significance. Do you not know? It's like, hey, what's wrong with you people? Wake up. Don't you understand what you're doing? 
when you're baptized. In other words, surely you know this about baptism. Why? Because that it's, it's basic, it's fundamental. It's a beginning. This is an elementary teaching in the Christian life. All believers are baptized and it has the meaning, that same meaning, everywhere. You can't go in the Scripture. You go to Acts, you go to Romans, you go anywhere baptism is mentioned. And I promise you, you will see baptism, conversion, initiation. You will see that those who are converted are initiated. Throughout the Scripture, they are initiated. All of them are. And there's many examples of this being initiated. John the Baptist initiated those who repented into the body of Christ through baptism through the water. Philip, when he came upon the Ethiopian eunuch, said, the man says, what forbids me from being baptized? There's water. Why can't I be baptized? And he says, you can be. And they go down into the water and they're baptized. Cornelius was baptized by the Spirit in in, uh, Acts chapter 10. And then Paul says, you Jews now seeing they've been baptized with the Spirit, what forbids them from being baptized in, in the water? And he baptized them in the water. It's a conversion initiation experience like I talked about last week. Baptism at times is used for conversion. It's used for the entirety of the Christian faith. It is a one-word description of what it means to be a Christian. And at other times, it is the initiation. And Paul keeps those things clear. It's easy to see in the Scripture when he's talking about uh, one or the other. And so he, he assumes it. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? And it's like he's saying, surely all Christians here are baptized and surely you all know what it means to be baptized. It was universal. It was practiced. It was unquestioned. Baptism was not only universal, it was by immersion. I told you at the end of last week when we summed up, one of the greatest apologetics men in philosophers in, uh, in the PCA church, R.C. Sproul, made the point in a debate he conceded to, to another man that the Scripture clearly argues all the Scriptures on your side of the debate. I agree. But, and then he reasoned from church history why to see it a different way. Now, that's, a, that's an important conceding. He conceded something very important there, and that is that we hold to the purity of the Scripture that church tradition has no hold over us if it contradicts what was commonly practiced and shown to us in the Scripture. Now, we would say that about all of these uh, other doctrines. Why not baptism? That, that, that would have been my follow-up question in the debate is, you follow the, the Scripture on every point, so if you see it in the Scripture and nowhere else, nowhere in Scripture do you see any other type of baptism besides immersion in water, then why do you do anything different? Because you stand on the purity of God's Word on every doctrine. Why do you change this one? And I don't know what his answer would be. Maybe one day I'll have a sit down with him and he can explain and correct me. Because I just, I just don't understand. We don't ever see anyone sprinkled. We don't ever see anyone that is poured. We see that they are immersed. John 3.23 says, John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. Why do you need much water? Why do you need deep water as the Greek tends to show us? Why do you need it? If you're just going to drop some, sprinkle a man, or if you're just going to pour a cup over him, why do you need deep water? 
What's the point here? Acts 8, 38 that I showed you earlier. The Ethiopian eunuch comes to Christ. And it says that he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. Why, why get in the water if all we're going to do is sprinkle or pour? Why are we walking into a deep body of water? What's the point? The point is that Philip, as, as well as the eunuch, went down into the water and he baptized him in that water. And then they moved on about their business. And along with this, we have, along with the meaning of the word uh, babto and baptizo, which means a babto meaning to immerse and baptizo to identify, what is the closest identification to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Was Christ merely sprinkled with death or was He immersed in death? Was Christ simply kind of buried or was He completely hidden from their eyes? And then when Christ came forth from the grave, did He come out whole or did He come out in part? He came out in whole. And so, if you reason this way, it is clear to see why we put people under the water and then bring them forth. They're dead men. They're buried into the water and you can't see them. And then when they come forth from the water, they come forth like Christ, whole, new, fresh, This is the representation that we see and we practice, and this is why it's so compelling, I believe, that we see this. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I I would argue that that in this text, the reason why some have reasoned away any physical significance and made it only spiritual is because their mode of baptism does not paint this picture. And they know it doesn't paint this picture. And so you can't hold to this having any significance physically. It has to become spiritual. But the Greek, the language, doesn't allow us to do that. I showed that last week. There's no way you can understand this text, only spiritual, and hold to the purity of the words that are written. So we have the fact that the... Lots of water was needed. We have the fact that the term means to immerse someone. And then we have a compelling argument from symbolism or, or from identification with Christ. So we learn that the method of baptism in the New Testament is, I believe, immersion. And there's no reason to think of any other way to do it. There's no reason ever given us in the Bible to do it another way. So God in His mercy will, I believe, give indulgence to those who have good conscience reasons for doing it another way. I don't believe God will judge them for it. They are saved just as we are saved, but they're missing, I believe, a very significant picture and a very significant event in their life. Um, So, we have the universal nature. We have that it was by immersion, I believe, and then we have that it signifies our death with Christ. We learn that in baptism, we... Uh, signify our death with Christ to the public. Everyone knows that we are being baptized. In the first century, to see someone, it became a totally Christian word, baptism did. In the Greek language, it just became synonymous with Christianity by the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century. When someone mentioned the word baptizo, they immediately, the people's mind turned to Christians. Why? Because every, every week they were seeing I mean, just the picture of Pentecost, if you baptize 3,000 people, it becomes implanted in people's mind that this is what the word means. It's, it's a Christian word. And, 
And so it goes out of usage in secular Greek, except to speak of Christians who were baptized. Is baptism an instrument? This is, this is where the confusion starts. Because people want to say, well, I'm saved because I'm baptized through the water. And I would say, no. And there's three re- reasons, I believe, why that can't be the truth. The overwhelming teaching of Paul throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the Bible and in Paul's letters, is that we, the instrument of our salvation is faith. Faith alone. That's why we confess. Faith alone. You aren't saved by anything but faith alone. Uh, Romans uh, 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It doesn't say having been justified by faith and baptism. It just says having been justified by faith. Faith is the instrument. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, justification or freedom from condemnation comes through being in Christ Jesus. And that being in Christ Jesus comes by faith. Therefore, faith is the means by which we are brought under Christ and it is the only instrument of our salvation. It's the only way you can be saved. So where does that leave baptism? As I said, that faith is conversion and identification with that faith publicly is baptism, the rite or the ordinance of baptism. And it signifies, it is the mediator that goes between Physically, so others might see us identifying. What I can't see in your heart, you are displaying to me, confessing to me outwardly. And in truth, this was the only confession that was made in the early church. Uh, Amato just got back from a conference up in uh, Kentucky. And uh, they discussed altar calls there and uh, that why, why they're not necessary, why they're not in, in the Scripture. And uh, there were many great points made. One of them was that God never invited you to repent. God commands you to repent. When you give somebody an invitation, it's as if you're saying, if you want to do this or if you don't want to do this, and that's not how God ever paints you coming to Him. He says, repent. It's a command. I command you, repent and believe. And so those who repent and believe are obedient. Why are they obedient? Because God has regenerated them in the Spirit and given them faith to believe in Him. And that is done in conversion. But then outwardly, since you can't see that in my heart, outwardly I have a way of confessing to you that I've done it. I've been saved by faith, but I've shown it to you through this act. Second reason. So I believe it's overwhelming that faith alone is the reason we're saved. When Paul explicitly relates faith and baptism, he does so in a way that shows faith is the instrument that unites us to Christ not baptism. So anybody that argues they were saved through regenerational water baptism, show them these scriptures. Galatians three twenty six through twenty seven. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You see why you're a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are a son of God. Now he goes on. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The four at the beginning of verse 27 shows that baptism into Christ is either an outward expression of faith or a proof of faith. But through faith you are saved. That's what 26 says. Through faith you are saved and the outward manifestation, just like I told you, 
of that faith, the first act of obedience in a way, as it's been told to me and I've been trained, is baptism. Colossians 2.12, Paul says, We have been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. Here again, what is the instrument? What is it that brings us to Christ or brings, puts us in Christ through faith? And baptism acts, the baptism act is an outward expression of this inward spiritual experience in Colossians 2.12. Faith is the instrument that unites us to Christ and justifies us before God. And baptism is the outward symbol, mediator. But do the words of Romans 6, 3 through 4 allow us to see what I've just said? I believe that they do. Um, look at what it says. In uh, 6, 3 through 4, it describes the symbol of dying with Christ, not the instrument of dying with Christ. Look what it says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. The words there uh, lead us in the Greek to believe that this is the outward expression, not the actual making us justified, but the picture outwardly to the others around us of baptism. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. Now, here's the analogy that uh, John Piper used to explain this, and it, it was a great analogy. When I was married, I, I received this symbol, this outward symbol, right? And I could say, by this ring, I wedded my wife, and by this ring, I have now died to all other women, and I'm only faithful to her. Okay? But what unified us? The ring? No, the covenant between me and her and God unified us and killed all of my affections towards other women. What is the ring? It's a symbol of ownership or it's a symbol of possession. My wife possesses me and I possess her. And so the covenant between God and the believer is made through faith or by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the covenant and that's ratified by faith. It's signed by faith. And the outward symbol, like the ring of my marriage, the outward symbol of that faith is baptism to the world. So it sets us apart to men. Men say he's a Christ follower. That's what they would have said in the... He's a, he's, the Jews would have seen it and said, oh, they, they've gone the way of Christ. So, uh, you can press the language to make it only be, uh, be more significant than a symbol, but it's not necessary to do that. It's not necessary to do that. Why? Because faith is the instrument of our justification. I want you to gather that and take it home. Romans 6, 3 through 4 does not contradict the teaching of the first five chapters of Romans, which says that we are united to Christ by faith and justified by faith. Instead, it teaches that baptism portrays, gives an outward expression. It's like an in-color drama of what God did to you in, inwardly. Our death with Christ was accomplished by the historical work on Calvary and it was applied to us experientially 
by faith and mediated to everyone's eyes by baptism. So we have the complete picture, which leaves us with the question, have you trusted in Christ alone for salvation? Or have you rested your entire Christian life on an act of outward symbolism? Are you in faith today? Or have you only been baptized by the church? Because faith is the grounds of your baptism. And without your root, your ground being in faith, baptism means nothing. Water baptism means nothing without faith preceding it. Paul assumes that he can build all the rest of the chapters of Romans and all the rest of the Christian life on our knowledge of us understanding that our faith is what puts us in the body. So, I want you to believe. I said earlier today in my prayer, God, those who are with us that do not believe, and I believe, I believe that there's a very big likelihood that there are those who are in this body right now, who are in this building, who do not believe in Christ. And so I want you to believe. Because that is the only way that you may be saved, is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And once you have believed and you understand your salvation is through that faith in Christ, we will gladly and rejoicingly let you give a testimony of that through the baptism water. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, you have given your word to us that we might know that it is faith alone that saves that you have imputed, that you have counted Christ's righteousness to our account. You've credited it to us. And I thank you that it's very clear there's no work that can be done to deserve that, but that simply it is credited to us simply by believing in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him with all of our being. Lord, as I, was, as I was reminded earlier today in discussion with, with, uh, with a motto, God, you've never asked for our heart. You've required our life. We can't just give part of who we are. We must wholly lean on Jesus' name. And so help those who are right now lost and dead in their sins. Holy Spirit, please... Father, please be merciful and bring them and regenerate them and birth them into spiritual life so they can believe and so they can be saved. And Father, we thank you for the beautiful picture of the testimony of baptism and what it portrays to the whole body as it confesses that we are part of the body. And it is a profession of what you've done to us on the inside. We know that it doesn't wash us. It doesn't make us clean. You make us clean through the Holy Spirit, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But this outward sign is so worshipful. And so I thank you for it. And I pray that you would bless us even with someone who is saved and has been saved through faith that has a desire to 
profess you in this way. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray through your name. And we ask that you would answer according to the will of the Father. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here.